0: Welcome to Thirty Five West. I'm Ryan Berg, a senior fellow in the Americas Program at CSIS, and the co-host of the Thirty Five West podcast. Look how professional, the Mexican! But government. are we ready? I don't. I don't reform friends in Argentina, right. and that's what happened. No
1: role at all in the negotiations.
0: As the Western Hemisphere works to recover from the ongoing pandemic, adjust to new global economic shocks, and create good-paying jobs and stable livelihoods for citizens, the private sector will play a key role in fostering development. One particularly important tool for encouraging private sector-led development are Special Economic Zones, or SEZs. These autonomous subregions can offer businesses an excellent stable, and sometimes even superior legal and regulatory environment that encourages them to set up operations in these zones. SEZs will feature in any attempt to increase private sector-led investment in places with difficult operational environments, such as Central America, and they could be key components to accelerating nearshoring and friendshoring. This week, we're joined by Greg Huger, Executive Director of the HUGE Business and Investment Council. HUGE works to promote investments in the United States, Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador, that capitalize on the competitive advantages of the Northern Triangle region. Greg joins us today to discuss the importance of SEZs for promoting investment in the region, as well as outline the geopolitical factors that influence the success or failure of SEZs at delivering on their promise of spurring economic growth. In this episode, we will discuss how certain zones may help fulfill the promise of nearshoring to the Americas, as well as efforts from other competitors like China, to establish their own models of SEZ governance in the Americas. Thank you for joining us today, Greg. You're most welcome, I'm delighted to join you. Greg, you've had an extensive career in both the private sector and with USAID, working to carve out a role for private enterprise in driving sustainable and inclusive development. In your current role with Think Huge, one of the objectives is to overcome regulatory and institutional obstacles to good business practices. How do SEZs fit into this strategy?
1: They offer the opportunity for transparency within the zone. And we'll get to this a little bit later, but I think it's very important that the laws of the country be respected and enforced uh, in the context of the special economic zone, rather than suspended and left to others to uh, recreate the legal framework. The legal framework for Special economic zones in Honduras is a good example of that. It is very favorable in terms of tax treatment, in terms of dealing with the interaction between the zone, the occupants of the zone, and the government. And so it offers a stable relationship between the zone and its businesses, business operators, and the country. And so This is a very important part of removing and managing obstacles to doing business in the general environment of any country. I'll give you an example of something that I experienced earlier in my career with USAID in Egypt. Many businesses there at the time were Very frustrated with the bureaucracy and particularly with the way the tax collector interacted with businesses. And so the private sector, supported by USAID and in cooperation with the government, uh, was able to encourage and achieve the passage of a free zone law that had all of the interaction between the government and the private sector in the zone happen within the zone that did not radically change the tax requirements, although they did work within a more favorable tax regime, as is the case in Honduras. But it gave transparency to the relationship because they were dealing with known government officials rather than a revolving door of different ones. And they had more transparency and therefore a safer, more honest, uh, relationship. It re- significantly reduced corruption. So I went back 15 years later and saw that some of the companies that I had known in earlier times were still in the zone. And I said, well, why aren't you in uh, out in some of these new industrial cities and places that they've developed? And they said, it's really the transparency and the straightforward relationship with the government in all of the things that we do in our business that keeps us here, were it not for that, we'd be in Dubai. And so uh, I think that that aspect of special economic zones or export processing zones is extremely important. And it's a great opportunity uh, in environments where there are significant legal, regulatory and administrative challenges to doing business to have an attractive framework, and be confident that it will be
0: respected. The Central American countries of El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras are well positioned to benefit from the current push to nearshore key industries. Proximity to the United States, shared languages, and cultural and political values, as well as an established industrial base, mean the region is ripe with opportunities. Indeed, the Biden administration has even commenced a campaign to friendshore supply chains, meaning locating value chains in countries that share our values, bringing an explicit geopolitical consideration into investment decisions. What kinds of industries would benefit the most from near shoring and friend shoring, and how can special economic zones in Central America adapt and better tailor themselves to be more attractive to businesses looking to bring their operations to the Americas? The industries
1: that we see benefiting most and being most attracted to the special economic zones are ones that are labor intensive and ones that are looking to uh, engage in business with the outside world, with the United States in our case. So the logistics of working in the zone when you are exporting is much more they're much more convenient than if you were outside of it. So uh, we see textile uh, uh, industry being one that has been developing in that context over the last several years, uh, and that cluster is growing uh, significantly to include uh, major investments in yarn spinning to meet a need that the region has heretofore, uh, much of the yarn and some of the cloth, the cloth that was uh, used in the garment industry in the region uh, came from China. Now, the investments that members of HUGE are making in yarn production, we have four new yarn production facilities going in for a total investment of $550 million that will make the region self-sufficient in yarn and will create a lot more value added in the region and a nice synergy between the United States and Central America and the Northern Triangle. So labor-intensive industries, export industries are ones that significantly benefit from the special economic zones. Another one is the automotive industry, automotive parts, uh, growing industry and wire harnesses and other component parts of automobiles are ones that uh, are growing and prospering in the export processing zones in
0: the region. One of the key factors in determining an SEZ's success is its relationship with the government of the country in which it's based. To this end, how can zone operators better engage with national authorities in Central America? I think it's important that the regime, that the legal framework
1: for the uh, special economic zone be one that is mutually beneficial. So the idea of suspending the national laws and allowing the owners and operators of the special economic zones to uh, establish their own legal framework is one that is uh, vulnerable to misunderstandings and political issues over time. So I think it's very important that the legal regime for the export processing zone or the special economic zone be one that is uh, in terms of taxes and import, export and all the aspects of doing business, uh, be one that's convenient and conducive to the operations of the company, but also be one that Uh, is politically and financially acceptable and advantageous to the country, so that over time, political pressures, as you go through the ebb and flow of politics and issues related to it, do not undermine the support of the country and the government, whomever the government might be at the time, for the zone, and are not ones that undercut the efficiencies and the profitability of the businesses that set up the zones or come to work in the zones because they need to have stability and long-term confidence that the advantages that took them to create the zone or to come and work in the zone are not
0: going to vanish with the ebb and flow of politics we saw in 2018 El Salvador uh, may play host to a large Chinese SEZ called La Union in which state-owned enterprises operate along essentially 50% of that country's coastline and about 14% of its overall territory. Central America is an increasingly critical area of diplomatic recognition for Taiwan as well as geopolitical competition. El Salvador switched recognition from Taiwan to the PRC in 2018, and the Castro government in Honduras campaigned on a similar idea, though for now Taiwan recognition seems to be secured. How can greater investment flows, Greg, from the U.S. and perhaps even from Europe lock in the strategic orientation of Central American countries toward Taiwan and toward a positive position with the United States? Well, from my perspective, the Taiwan
1: issue is an important one, but it's separate from and somewhat different from the legal framework and operating framework for export industrial parks, free zone industrial parks in the Northern Triangle. And the important aspect of the latter is what I was touching on earlier, that it be mutually advantageous, mutually acceptable to the government, to those who invest in and build and operate the industrial parks, the free zone industrial parks, and the companies that they attract to work within them. And in the case of Honduras, and and I know in El Salvador from the 80s on, those have been very healthy relationships. And there are many business and by extension, other ties between the Northern Triangle countries and the United States that come from the active, positive relationship of profitable business that creates good jobs, employs many people, and adds value uh, to both sides of the relationship, the U.S. side and the Salvador and Honduras, Guatemalan side. So I would separate the Taiwan issue from the core issue from my perspective, which is that of a positive business environment for the zones and the country and the companies that operate them, because that's what gives you uh, the confidence that, that you can make your business work as you planned it to be. And therefore, you can hire many people in the country, in the area, and create the benefit that the model offers. I wouldn't really tie that to the Taiwan-China issue, but I would say that I have observed, since my initial involvement of it in the early 80s in El Salvador, that the model has created a very positive environment and a very set, a set of positive relationships between U.S. businesses and American people and the Salvadorans or the Hondurans or the Guatemalans. So that is a a very important aspect of the long-term relationship between the countries involved. And I would say also that with the logistics issues, challenges that we're observing since COVID, and with the human rights issues and the demographic issues of China, the Northern Triangle has the opportunity to become a major manufacturing hub linked to the U.S. market and the complementarity of the resources, natural resources, technological resources, demographic resources among the four countries that are involved with HUGE is really very attractive. And so with our focus of facilitating and making uh, private investment in nearshoring, initially in the textile and garment industry, but as I mentioned earlier, expanding out into others. And also in investments in strategic regional infrastructure to make of the Northern Triangle linked to the United States, a more
0: integrated, larger platform for production is, is a great opportunity. As we record this episode, the Summit of the Americas has just gotten underway. One of the summit's objectives is to promote regional economic reconstruction in the wake of the pandemic. What is the private sector's place in these conversations at the summit generally, and what about the place of SEZ operators in particular? We think that the summit of the Americas is a great opportunity
1: for, in our case, the uh, private sector in the Northern Triangle to meet with their counterparts from the United States and from other parts of the Americas. We have some of our members uh, participating in the summit and participating in events like the round table on industry. One of our founding members will be one of eight participants in that discussion with the vice president and will be the only representative from the textile and garment industry. That's an example of the opportunity that the summit offers. The idea of pulling together people of like mind around the unity of democracies, of private sector activity, of civil society, of rule of law, of human rights, and and have a focal event around it for these days. Uh, we think is very good, and we're happy that our members are actively participating in it. Another aspect of it that's important is the civil society forum within it, or in parallel to it. And HUGE has developed and is developing a social impact advisory council, uh, including partners from civil society, from NGOs, from universities, from think tanks, from multilateral bilateral organizations and so this is a great opportunity for us for our our members who are participating in the summit one of whom is one of the more active members of that uh, social impact advisory council to exchange ideas with people dealing with similar issues throughout the americas and in the united states so we think that this is a very important initiative. We're happy to have our members participating in it. we were delighted to see that they were welcome to participate directly with the vice president in the uh, roundtable and in other events. And we look forward to the relationships that will be developed as a result of
0: it and to moving forward with them under the common objectives of the Senate. Greg, is there something that we did not cover? Anything else that you would like to highlight or add? Yes, I I would like to emphasize a point that our members make
1: again and again. We're all about private investment for massive job creation in the Northern Triangle and in the United States. And it's our view that it's not enough just to have a job. Because if you have a job, but you don't have a healthy community, you don't have good education and health care for your family, you're living in danger, you're surrounded by corruption, that the job really is the way to get the money to pay the coyote to take the whole family to the United States, legally or illegally. And so a very important focus of HUGE is creating a good living situation for the people involved with us in any way. And so our, uh, for example, the members that own and operate large free zone industrial parks, uh, have relationships with banks and other institutions through which they're able to offer affordable mortgages to the people that work in the parks. And so they have built over the recent past, very nice communities of four to 5,000 houses each with good schools, with good health care, with security perimeters around Uh, so that the community is safe. And those people have a real stake in their life, in their community, in their country. They are living their version of the American dream in the Northern Triangle without having to go to the United States through that very difficult process in search of it. So it's it's the overall package to create the American dream in Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador. That is really the focus of Think Huge. And we now have mobilized in our first year uh, over $3 billion in new investment in projects that will create approximately 170,000 new jobs. And our objective is over five years, given that we're a little over one year into it, to mobilize $10 billion of new investment to create 2 million new jobs. And to create jobs, as I said, that offer the workers, their families, and their communities
0: a good life. So, thank you. Greg Huger, Executive Director of the HUGE Business and Investment Council, thanks for joining us on 35 West. We appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. My pleasure. Good to talk with you, Ryan. For you, thank you for joining. Stay tuned for the next episode of 35 West.